Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to read a few verses and then I'm... I feel it's Christmas time, right? So I feel in the giving mood. So instead of just a couple verses that I was uh, assigned to teach about tonight, I'm going to give you a lot more, but it's okay. I'm not going to read all of them. We're just going to give a big overview of sort of... Uh, Saul's story, because I love Saul's story and just everything that transpires with him, especially in Acts chapters 8 and 9. Um, But first of all, Acts chapter 7, we'll get there, because this is where we left off last week. We were talking about Stephen, right, and the things that happened and what he was preaching and why he was preaching this really important message that he was giving to this council. And so here in Acts chapter 7, look at verse 54. When they had heard these things, they, meaning this council, were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They ground their teeth in rage at Stephen. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. By the way, before we keep going, what does that, what does that phrase there remind you of? Where it says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Yes? That's what Jesus said. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels here between Stephen's trial and Jesus' trial. Most notably this phrase here where he says, lay not this sin to their charge. Where Jesus is on the cross, he says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. So just keep those parallels in mind also. Because we just learned last week, or at least I hope we all learned, that, that the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus But that doesn't stop with the Old Testament. The New Testament does that too. Even after Jesus' death, there are more and more things that are are representing or commemorating or causing us to remember what Christ has done, just like it is here. Let's keep going. And Saul was consenting unto his, Stephen's, death. And at that time, there was a great persecution in the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Skip down to verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, and, or hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So here is this crazy scene that after Stephen's death, that Saul just literally goes on pretty much a rampage, just destroying houses and killing Christians for their belief, as it is called the way. We've, we've talked about that before, but there's this phrase called the way mentioned throughout Acts that was sort of the meaning term that, that the Christians were called. They were followers of the way or the way of Jesus. And he was going about and seeking people like this to kill them, persecute them, and ultimately kill them. And so what this... Reminds me of our of a lot of things, but let me ask you this question. Um, if you, let me let me start out a little bit broader. If if you were to read like any book or let, let's say any watch any Disney movie, what's the same theme through every Disney movie? Like really broad theme. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. That's one. What's another one? 
Parents always dying. <laughs> Parents always dying, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are ones. I've, uh, even broader than that, though, I think every single... This is just every movie, but most often I see it in Disney movies. There's always a battle of some sort of good versus some sort of evil, right? Even if it's not really like a really bad evil, it's just like a bad like boss or something. He's made out to be really evil. But whenever there's something that is good... There's obviously going to be something that's evil trying to oppose it. That's just the world we live in because of sin. That there's always going to be something opposing what is good. There's always going to be darkness trying to take over the light again. And so I think uh, in years past, it's been easier to identify evil than it is today. Like in, in like the in mid-1900s, we could say World War II, it was really easy to identify who was evil, right? It was the Axis powers, it was Hitler and, and Mussolini and all those dictators. It was easy to be like, okay, they are bad, they're doing something bad, so we need to get involved. But now, nowadays I think it's harder to identify evil because it's not, it's, it wasn't back then either, but it, it's not a people group that is bad. It's not like you can be like, all the Germans are bad or anything like that. It's a religion that we're fighting against. And it's much harder because it's not that we can say that everyone from the Middle East is someone that should be feared. But Islam is a religion that opposes the Christian faith. And it actually opposes the, the flourishing of life. And so you could say that it's harder to identify evil today because it's not as readily apparent. Because it's, we're, we're almost battling a religion and what I mean by that is this, is that imagine we've heard the ISIS stories, the Islamic State of, of Iran and Syria, that's what ISIS means. This terrorist group is just go, rampaging through the Middle East and making their mark on our world, basically, by killing and beheading Christians and all sorts of things, crazy things. What would happen... What, how would we react? Honestly, think about it. If, if one of those ISIS leaders came out and said, I'm a Christian now, what, what would you do? What would, what would you think? How, how, would you, how would you react? Because I think a lot of the times I want to say that I would be really happy, but I also would say, I have to be honest with you, I don't know if I would believe him. I would be very doubting of that person. I would be like, I don't know, I mean, you just came from ISIS and now you're trying to preach the Bible. I would be really just, I, w I would be wanting to push that guy away. I would not want to be accepting of him. I would not want to uh, bring him into my church, <laughs> definitely. But what would happen? What do you think would happen? What would happen if this guy renounces his former life and is just like, I have been saved. And so now instead of beheading people, he's trying to bring people to Christ. And let me ask you this question even more than that. You don't have to answer out loud, but just answer in your own hearts. Do you believe that that can even happen today? Sometimes I think we don't think it can happen. I've met people who don't think it can happen anymore. That, that, that somehow that, that this is beyond the possibility, the realm of possibility. But I would say it can. And I would like to point out to you tonight, just by reading some of these verses and going through Paul. Saul's story that it already has happened because when you think about Saul you have to think about someone that is coming from ISIS because that's how bad Saul was Saul also known as Paul 
He is a guy that is coming from a belief system that is totally against the Christian faith. Even though he was religious, he studied the law. Anything that had to do with Jesus, he was against. Anyone that believed in the way of Jesus, he was going out of his way to kill them. So much so that we learn in in Acts 9 that he has actually gone before a council and gotten permission, like dispatches, and uh, the ability and the freedom to go to another town, Damascus, and kill more people, persecute more people. So he's on a mission against God. He's on a mission to make things miserable for the people that believe in God. And this is the same person who later says there is therefore now no condemnation for them who believe in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's quite a flip. It's quite a flip of character. But I think what's interesting is that I think this, that's the vivid picture we need to keep in our minds a person from ISIS or a person from even, well, like I just mentioned, uh, the World War II, the, uh, um, Hitler had this group of guys, maybe you've heard of them, they're called the German SS. It was like a secret sort of police, and their job was literally to go around and search and hunt for Jews. And they would capture them, they would torture them, and bring them to the concentration camps. They were breaking into homes, and they were breaking into families, and they were, they were taking people out of their, those families and bringing them away. And people were separated forever. And that's similar to what Paul was doing. As it says in Acts 3, again, he was making havoc of the church. He was wreaking just a, a mess on the church of God. Breaking into homes and and ruining families. And this is how we have to picture Saul. Sometimes I don't think we fully get that full picture. But that's what I want to get in your head. He is this German SS, almost ISIS sort of captain. And this guy is saved. Paul is miraculously saved in Acts chapter 9. And I think this is the story of All of our lives. Now that may strike you funny because it's not that I'm saying that uh, I think you're all murderers. Um, But in a way you are. Did you know that? Because in a way, all of us have a part in Christ's crucifixion. It's because of our sin that he is there in the first place. So in a way, we are all culpable of that act. And in fact, you could also say we all have a little bit of blood on our hands because of our sin. We all put Jesus there. So in a way, we are the same as Paul in the sense that there is no sort of levels of wickedness. That when Jesus says you are a sinner, that means you're a sinner. A bona fide sinner, a person who is dead in trespasses and sins, in need of the same thing that he gives to everyone, which is his redeeming grace. It's not like he gives somebody more and somebody less. Just because you stole gum or you stole money, you're both a thief. And both need of the same forgiveness. The same as if you are a person who is actually killed or a person who is just hated on people. You both need the same forgiveness in Christ. You're both a sinner. And I think this is what Paul shows. Is that no one, absolutely no one, is ever beyond God's reach of grace. No one is. I'm not, you're not. Regardless of how far you fall away, maybe, in your life. 
No one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace. And I would even say this, that no one can out-sin the coverage of God's forgiveness. There's, there's, I'm not, that means that there's nothing that wasn't covered that Jesus has already paid for. Because huh. when we think, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for present and past and future sins. You know how I know that? Because when, it, when uh, Paul talks about this, this same guy, Paul, he talks about this in Romans chapter 4. Remember, he's talking, in Romans 4, he's talking about the faith of Abraham. And if Abraham's faith was a forward-looking faith unto a promised cross, ours is a backwards-looking faith that's on an already performed cross. But the same cross is at the center of our salvation. And the same way, the, the, the same grace is at the center of everyone's salvation. No matter where you come from, it's the same faith in the same cross. And in fact, all who are wretched are the ones who, in whom God delights. As it says in 1 Peter 1.15, you know this verse, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And Paul says there, of whom I am foremost. He knows that. He knows what he has, been, has done in his past. He knows all the things that he was saved out of. And he says, this is who God came to save. One writer says it this way, if the bridge of grace will carry the elephant, it will certainly carry the mouse. If mercy of God could bear with the hugest of sinners, it can have patience with you. That's what I love about this. If you're a quote-unquote elephant in sin or a mouse in sin, the same grace saves you the same way. And it redeems you the same way. And this is what I love about Paul's story. Is it shows that that truth is for everyone. So that's why I have to believe that the grace of God abounds even for people of ISIS. Because it's happened before. And it can happen again. We serve the same living God. The same living Savior. So don't, don't disbelieve in the rescuing or reclaiming power of God's grace. But as it says in Isaiah 59, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Believe forever in God's infinite reach of saving grace. Let's pray.